Jackson Sabonis two-man game inside. Domas dominant, dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid, and he got some dog in. And the steal, they can tie it with a three. Murray, yes, a Murray miracle in the desert. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast presented by the Kings Herald. My name is Brendan Nunes, and today we're joined by Anthony Slater, who covers both the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings for The Athletic. Couldn't think of a better perspective to get on here. Uh, what's going on, Anthony? How you doing, man? I'm excited. I've, I've been eyeing this series for, what, like since February? It's like, that that seems like the likeliest 3-6 matchup. Everything had to break right, including literally in the last day, right? You were probably watching Suns Clippers. Yeah. like everybody else was uh, but if it feels a little meant to be it does it worked out a lot of connections between these teams and and the most obvious one obviously being coach mike brown who just today was announced as the nba coaching association's uh coach of the year and wanted to start well i guess i'll start by saying uh, today at practice coach in a very just the way that he always goes about things uh just deflex right make sure to say that uh it wouldn't be possible without all the players and points of the rest of the coaching staff um so kind of typical of of coach brown there but with him being the common theme here i I wanted to start by getting your perspective on what sort of creativity have you seen from him in golden state's previous postseason runs when it comes to the defensive end i heard curry yesterday talking about uh, a box in one for example that they ran a good amount of times but just how much variance and, and creativity have you seen from Coach Brown in previous postseason runs? I thought he was one of the like MVPs of the Western Conference Finals last season. Uh, they played the Mavericks. People probably remember, and yeah, it was it was a four one like very easy series in in retrospect. But you probably remember going in. A lot of people were picking Dallas in that series. You know, they had just uh, beat Phoenix. That six. What, what did Phoenix win last year? Like sixty seven games or whatever it was. You know, Dallas is coming off that series, and the whole story going in is how do the Warriors contain Luka and how do they stop? It wasn't just Luka. It was the, that Luka attack, which included three, three and D guys, you know, spread around him, and then Jalen Brunson coming downhill. Uh, and I just thought they concocted a terrific game plan that included they just kept switching looks up on Luka. And one of the images I have in that series is Mike Brown hopping off the bench at various times with double fists in the air which was, you know, he was switching to, they had like this specific zone defense that they were going with. They also did a box and one. Uh, and they had, they pretty much had four defensive looks. But I remember talking to Jason Kidd during the series and what he was impressed with is a lot of times NBA coaches will switch defenses during timeouts, right? You get guys over to the sideline. Hey, you know, let's discuss everybody's role coming out of the break. They were doing it like, possession by possession you know Andrew Wiggins hits a three Mike Brown hops off the bench signals to Draymond we're doing this defense this possession Draymond signals it to everyone else they get back they execute it during a 24 second shot clock and it just flustered Dallas the whole way I mean Luca had his worst series I mean there's obviously personnel and player reasons for this Wiggins was great in that series Draymond was Draymond but you know that that was a that was a team last season that didn't have an elite shot blocker yet they were basically the top defense in the league all season and a lot of that was the creativity of Mike Brown which which you talked about but also you know the the story most most of the season was the accountability that he brought and I mean Kings fans are obviously seeing that but they you know had a, a, a ranking system and just really you know and I know Warriors people will tell you they missed this this season timeouts would come and he would just go light people up Jordan Poole you're playing terrible like just go light Jordan Poole up and then Jordan Poole would play a little bit better and it was it was a combination of those two things the schemes but also just the bravado defensively a little bit accountability definitely been a theme that he's brought over in the Sacramento you can absolutely see him uh lighten people up and that there's probably some players that that happens to a little bit more often than than others but I I think it's well received it's no it's they know it's coming from a good place and everything. You, you just wrote a long article. I think it came out today. Yeah. Um, and one of the standout quotes in a great piece, five different uh, sort of keys to the series. But you talked about how Coach Brown knows the Warriors defensive weaknesses as well as anybody. How much of a factor do you think that plays into it? And is there any standout weaknesses um, that, pop into the front of your mind as 
will he try to attack this? It's just an, it's an interesting situation from, from my perspective because, you know, I've spent several, you know, conversations with Mike Brown in years past discussing Warriors players with him in depth. Like, you know, their defensive flaws and, you know, what, what makes them good, what kind of, you know, uh, I guess schemes you can hide guys in, what kind you can't, what kind of players they're good at guarding, you know, who they might not be. And now he's the opposing coach in a playoff series. And I know he knows these things, right? You're like, I know he knows like where, what type of action you might want to get Jordan Poole in, what Jonathan Kaminga is very good at and what Jonathan Kaminga might struggle with, you know, some help side defense. Maybe he'll lose a cutter back door, that type of stuff. So I've got to think, and you know, and you know, their coaching staff, it's not just Mike Brown, but Luke Laux has Warriors connections. Leandro Barbosa was a Warriors player and a Warriors coach last season. Uh, and, I assume in this week of prep, you know, as they really dig into like the personnel based side of that, and that is the playoffs, like so much of it is like, you know, how the particular, like the matchup and just the specifics within a matchup and the personnel side of that. And I just think that um, what we'll see in the first couple games, but I do think Mike Brown will attack specific stuff. And I think he has an offense that is tailored to target people in some ways, in different ways. It's not like a James Harden, hey, I'm going to drag this specific person out here. But it's like, okay, let's say you can't really hide Jordan Poole on Kevin Herter, on you know Keegan Murray necessarily, because the Kings can run action towards them. And I just, uh, I just think that's an interesting part of this chess match, which is like Mike Brown knowing so deeply about the opponent. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it, it goes beyond Brown. Like you said, Luke Laux, Leandro Barbosa, their offenses look really similar. And a lot of that has to do with Sabonis being able to play that Draymond-ish role of running the ball through him, a lot of pistol split cuts and all of that. And just a high IQ decision maker from a big that's able to set those screens, I, I think is one of the more unique combinations. Um, I forget who it was earlier in the year. Some One of the opposing coaches talked about how unique the combination of physicality and IQ um, together in that big really is. And you, you absolutely see that with both of those guys. But do you feel like it's a two-way street? Like Mike Brown and, and Laux and Barbosa know Golden State. But do you feel like there's a sense of familiarity that also could benefit Golden State by having those guys around previously? I don't think that necessarily like, ha, we know what Mike Brown's saying in the huddle, so that's going to help coming out. Uh, we know why he called that timeout. I think it is more this the similar actions that you're talking about where, you know, I was I put a clip in the story today and it was uh, a defensive possession from one of the games early in the season, Kings Warriors, where, you know, uh, Sabonis has it like high post, like elbow extended kind of area. And Herder's going to set what seems like a screen. I believe it was for Fox on the other wing. And he tries one of those slips, right? Like, don't even cut it and slip it. And Draymond is just, like, glued onto him. He's like, I know that's what you're doing. I know you're going to try to get this slip. I'm taking that away. And part of the reason he's so able to do that is because the Warriors run these plays. You know, the Warriors have a lot of this type of action, um, which means the Warriors practice against this type of action. And that part of it, I do think they're more adept than, mo adept than most defenses to turn the faucet off on some of the more pet stuff that's going on and and probably will try to turn the series much more into De'Aaron Fox, you need to beat us individually with just your scoring. And he'll have a chance, right? You know, if he can break some guys up down off the dribble, if he has big scoring nights, uh, I think that'll be there for him. And even Sabonis a little bit. Like, I think they're fine if it's like Sabonis. Like, post up Kevon Looney and score on him one-on-one. -on -one. Go, You know, you're not getting some. It's what they did to Jokic in the first round last year. I mean, look at Jokic's numbers. He went off. Uh, individually, they just, you know, bottled up the others, made sure that they, you know, didn't let Aaron Gordon cut back door and, and, and made sure Contavious Caldwell Pope wasn't getting some of his, you know, flare screen stuff. And then, you know, Jokic scored 35 and the Warriors won by 15. I mean, that's my, what I would expect would be the game plan. And I guess circling back to your question, I, I just think their familiarity with, the way the Kings move is much higher than most defenses that the Kings would face. It'll be interesting to see how much Sacramento goes away from their sort of free flowing offense and is forced into more of that one-on-one -on -one ball that you're kind of talking about. There's been so much of an emphasis on like the ball is power and everybody else feels involved because they get to touch it. 
Sounds like Steve Kerr. These are Steve Kerr words being said <laughs> by Mike Brown. And I do think he learned a lot of that over his six years there. And like, you know, everyone will play. And I know Mike would love this side of it. People are more willing to play defense when they are touching the ball on offense. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Would think. Uh, I mean, it depends on the <laughs> player, right? Kevon Looney does not need to touch the ball, though, to uh, play some hard defense. Right. Some guys do. And I guess more so from Sacramento's point of view, it's uh, less about a willingness and more so a capability when it yeah. comes to length That's... or or physicality has been a big theme the last That's couple of days. The series. Let me ask you, let me flip it quick. Yeah. What's their defensive game plan? What possibly can Mike Brown do to even contain like a full throttle Warriors team, which is as healthy as they've been in a long time? When it comes to Steph Curry, which is, got to be the biggest problem specific like the kings don't have a standout defender to put on him and i I never think that it's a one-person job anyways with the amount of off-ball movement that goes on i feel like you're forced into switches a lot um i I think when it comes to steph like he's gonna get his to an extent you just have to limit the easy looks you pointed this out in, in some of your your piece as well like Domas can't be too deep on that drop because he knows Kevon Looney won't shoot a jumper. Right. And the, the war, the Warriors live off that. It's like good sag off Kevon Looney. He's not going to hit the, you know, 20 footer, but he's going to screen away the guard and give Steph Curry a 22 footer. Uh, right. So yeah, Sabonis is going to wear a target on his back early in this series. And even when there's times where he's at the level, like if he and the other guy is chasing around the guard defender, Domas backs up a little too early before the guard is finally there. And Steph is so good at recognizing just that split second. Like they're going to have to be totally on point defensively, which is where we've seen this Sacramento team obviously really struggle throughout the course of this year. I mean, 24th in defense is atrocious. Seems like there's plenty of times it drives Mike Brown totally crazy. Um, I, I worry there's somebody you mentioned in the pieces is, is Davion Mitchell and him, yeah. his potential importance in this series and he's obviously the standout like perimeter defender that Sacramento could try to throw out there, but it's the offensive end. Like his catch and shoot threes this year are thirty four percent. It's all right. He's very streaky on that end. In rewatching some of those games from earlier this year, which is tough because the context seems so. It, it was so long ago. It was so early in the year. Um, there's, I think, in game one, like. In the first quarter, Rashawn Holmes and James Wiseman checked in the game at the same time. The so like, James right. Wiseman era. Was still, yeah. Still alive. Yeah. No, no doubt. I mean, like, you can't take like deep data points, but I'm, you know, you can go find specific possessions that give you hints about, you know, not only game plans, but flaws uh, that are going to come up. And the one thing I would say about Davion Mitchell, because I'd agree with you on a few things. Number one, like, it is a five person job to guard Steph Curry, but the best teams at guarding Steph Curry have the Drew Holidays of the world, the Dylan Brookses of the world, the the guys that, you know, at least shoulder a brunt of the assignment and make life difficult, make Steph really work at some of his off-ball stuff, be physical with him, tick him off. Steph Curry is one of the most poised humans I've ever met, but he can still boil a little bit. He doesn't show it. He's not going to – he'll rarely get a technical, but, you know, you want somebody in him and, and, and bothering him. Avery Bradley was so good at this back in the day. And the Kings – if you take Davion Mitchell off the table, do not have that. If you put Davion Mitchell on the table for more than what, what do you think going into the series? How many minutes per game would you predict? For him? I mean, he hardly plays alongside De'Aaron, but yeah. you're going to have to try it. Like it, it just depends on if the shot's going down in those first couple of matchups, there are times where, and you have to do this with Looney on the floor as well. If Domas is out there, but like Draymond is playing, on Davion and just could care less about him from so the perimeter. That, and that's even that's even the bigger problem than, you know, I I think I had some Kings person hit me up and be like, well, you know, he's shot it pretty well in the last month. And I'm sure you could speak to this. I don't know the numbers. But like Davion's had a decent like past month shooting, right? Just yeah. like from the Warriors side, Jonathan Kaminga has had a solid month shooting. But one of the problems the Warriors have with Kaminga is even when he is making his three, defenses do not care. They go, keep shooting it. And that's the thing with Davion Mitchell in this series. It would be very good for the Kings if when he gets on the floor, he hits a couple threes. But I can tell you the Warriors are not going to f- freak out about that. If Davion Mitchell goes 2-2 two two from three in his first stint, Steve Kerr's not on the sideline like, all right, guys, get out on him. He's saying, like, keep sagging off of him. You know, trust the percentages. And it's with Frank Nilakina is a good example of this. They did that to him. They played him out of the series in the West Finals last year. Nilakina 
I think Dallas wanted to take stints on Steph, but he couldn't be on the floor because the Kings, as you know, live off spacing. Such a key to why they are so explosive offensively. And if Davion Mitchell's on the floor, a lot of that spacing will be gone because the Warriors will just not guard him. And he may hit some threes and they still will not guard him. And I don't think they really have a reason to. Like, there's been okay games, right? The two of five isn't horrible from three, a two of three. But in on uh, March 25th, he goes 0 of six. The game before, he goes 0 of three. Game prior to that, he's three of five. Like, he's extremely streaky from three. Another guy that stands out defensively a little bit is Kessler Edwards, who's knocked down. Uh, three's at an okay rate this year. He's definitely willing to take them, but I'd expect the exact same thing. Like you live from Golden State's perspective with that guy shooting open threes. Um, I, I don't even know if we should really expect to see him in this series. Like a lot of times when we've seen him utilized, it's a Devin Booker or a Anthony Edwards, and it's just not quite the same as chasing Steph Curry around maybe screens. Clay's hot, you know. Maybe yeah. if Clay needs to be bottled up and you know typically once or twice in a series clay does need to be bottled right. up um so i could see mike brown maybe deploying that um but yeah you're right like he's he's always made more sense for like a clipper series a phoenix series a Lakers right. series not this one how much do you think how much do you expect to see steph sort of hunting mismatches because i think more often than not there's going to be and I know the Warriors obviously play within the flow of the offense, but it felt like in those first couple of games, it's like, a, okay, just give me Kevin Herter or give me Malik yeah. Monk or even Trey Lyles at times out there. Keegan Murray in that first game got totally cooked really early in the game and watching it back. I was like, I wonder if this is his welcome to the NBA moment. And like game like the Bambi legs. I remember there was one. Play yeah, it was a tough of, one. He yeah, buckled a little bit, a little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there will be in, I, I'm not sure that they'll get to a point where, uh, Steve Kerr's just like dialing it up on the sideline, like keep going at that matchup, keep going at that matchup. I think within possessions, Steph may find himself right. in a situation where Kevin Herter's on him. And it's usually when he's feeling good, maybe he's hit a couple shots and he's just, he wants to have one of those big spurts. What's actually kind of funny or ironic, whatever you want to say, uh, is, you know, and you probably know this, but Warriors fans always get very upset with Steve Kerr for not mismatch hunting with Steph Curry, not going to more high pick and rolls. Um, and one of the, their, you know, spotlight times that it's worked was Mike Brown has a couple times taken over as head coach of the Warriors, including in the 2017 playoffs against Utah. Cause you know, Steve Kerr was dealing with his back uh, issue and Mike Brown kept dialing up high pick and rolls with Kevin Durant going at Gobert and Steph Curry going at Gobert. And I remember Warriors fans like, yes, Mike Brown, like, <laughs> you know, loving it when he did that. Um, so I don't know why. I mean, that's just an interesting part of, I guess, this uh, chess match. But to answer your question, I don't, I don't think that's going to be a heavy part of the game plan. But of course, there are going to be times over the course of every game where Steph just sees somebody in front of him he thinks he can beat, and he'll he'll try to. And you know, if it is Herder, if it is Sabonis, he's probably going to be able to get off a pretty good shot. And if he's hitting his shots, they're going to be tough to stop. I mean. I think we both know that like, the Kings are going to have to score like 125 to win oh, some yeah. of these games, but they can. Yeah, they they average right near that, and Golden State averages second most points in the league. Um, so it's definitely a team that can keep up. When it comes to Warriors defense, Wiggins is obviously the big question mark X factor. Uh, yourself and Shams reported today, 20 to 25 minute restriction in game one. Uh, what, what's the feel you've kind of gotten for – what to expect from Wiggins, who has played uh, 37 games this year, been away from the team for a little while with a, a, a personal issue. Yeah, uh, he's had, obviously, an odd season. Um, he busted out from a career perspective last year in the playoffs. I mean, really their second-best player, uh, guarding Luka in the West Finals, guarding Jason Tatum in the Finals, um, averaging eight rebounds a game, which he'd never done in his career. Scoring is kind of a secondary, not only shooter, but slasher can get to a 19 footer. Like he was so vital and will be very vital for the Warriors if, you know, beyond this King series, if they really do have dreams of, of repeating. Um, but within this series, I don't expect a, a ton. Um, maybe he'll surprise me, but this season he was great until December. I remember he, he scored 30-something and made eight threes against Houston on, like, December 3rd, I believe it was. 
and I was talking to him post game, and I was actually thinking about doing a story on just how good, like he really trampolined that playoff performance into another what looked like he was going to be a second straight All Star appearance, and that night he was kind of like ice in his groin area and that ended up costing him 15 straight games, which really surprised him at the time, how long it lasted. It was the longest absence of his career. He's always been like an 80 game per year type player. And then he came back off that injury longest of his career absence again. And he was bad. You know, he, he was completely out of sync, really struggled to rediscover his conditioning and his groove. Um, you could tell in conversations he was frustrated that he couldn't find himself. And then it seemed like, Hey, maybe he was turning the corner a little bit. And then as everyone knows, the extremely uh, private absence that he had, he missed the final, you know, two months of the season, basically he only ends up playing, I believe 37 games. So less than half the season. And now right before game one, round one, he's going to get dropped into a playoff series after having shown, I believe that he's not Steph Curry. Steph Curry often comes back and within two games, he looks like Steph Curry. I think he's going to take a while for for Wiggins, and I think they're going into the series, no, you know, believing he can help as more of a bit player, with more of a longer term hope that by second round, third round, assuming they get there, which they still believe they can, obviously, um, he's he's himself by then. And defensively, I mean, he would if he does look well. I, I think he's the best guy to throw on De'Aaron, like by by far right after that is it dante like i mean Payton? for spurts it's gary payton the second okay um just for like you know go pick him up full court piss him off you know right. get you'll see it i bet you'll see it in game one gary payton will just go they'll be he'll come in with three minutes left in the first quarter or you know at some point to guard fox and the ball won't even be inbounded in yet and he's just gonna run all the way 94 feet and start touching fox's chest and like, you know, kind of pushing up on him before the ball's even inbound. And Fox will probably start hitting his hand down. And you'll be like, he's he's indigent. He's gonna be an irritant. 15 minutes of being a complete irritant who is really elite as a lateral mover and a disruptor. He led the NBA in steals for 36 last season, but he's a spurt player. Won't play more than 15 to 20 minutes. DiVincenzo will get his shot on him. Kaminga is an underrated name of a guy they might just see what he can do just physically against Fox. But what you said is correct. Like it should be Wiggins. That's what Wiggins is being paid for. That's what Wiggins did last year in the playoffs. He, he was a top five wing. Def- he did a better job on Luka Doncic than Mikhail Bridges did on Luka Doncic in the playoffs last year, but there's no way they can rely on that for this series. If it, if it appears they'll take it, but I think they, they've got to have a, you know, hockey line type shifts on Fox while also hoping that like the Kings just do want to like, even if it's clay Thompson, who I think Fox can get by pretty easily at this stage of their careers. If it just, if Fox wants to score 40, but it's just all Fox all the time. I think they're also okay with that. Yeah. When it, when it comes to Kuminga, someone I'm curious about, you know, kind of was the series he played most last year was 76 minutes against Memphis outside of that. Started him. That was weird. They tried to start him in that Memphis series, and it worked horribly. Uh, he wasn't ready, but sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. What is like the X factor for if Kuminga can play? I know you kind of mentioned the difference between his off-ball and on-ball defense, but does it come down to just like, is he the same way we talked about Sacramento or Golden State possibly ignoring a Davion or a Kessler? Like, do you think that that's what it comes down to for if Kuminga can play? Yeah, and I mean, this again is where Mike Brown, like intimately knowing Kuminga's game, I think helps the Kings, but yeah, I mean, I, when, especially I I can remember this year when they played the Lakers, the Lakers just so shamelessly begged Kaminga to shoot. And again, you look at Kaminga's percentage. I think he was like 35%, something like that from three of the season, but he kind of is tentative. He's slow on his shot. um, And it's just the, 0.5 0.5 basketball is, I know, something that Mike Brown mentions plenty. That's, that's again, part of the Warriors' ethos. That he just wants quick ball movers, catch, pass, dribble, just do it quickly. And when they they don't like to play Kaminga with Looney and Draymond because it just completely clogs up their spacing. And while Kaminga, I think, in the long term, still could profile as like a three, like a wing, 
And when Wiggins is out, there was a lot of people basically begging, like, hey, Kamigas looks so good. Just make him Wiggins right now. You know, start him at the three. And they wouldn't because Wiggins is a 40-plus percent three-point shooter who must be guarded. Kuminga isn't. And um, that has created lineup issues for the Warriors. And it's created a, a tougher environment to, for Kerr to get him on the floor. But at the same time, I would say he's done – like he's made strides the last couple months. He is in the individual defensive environment really impressive at times. And he – the Warriors like are last in the league in free throw attempts and they're near the bottom of the league in paint points. You know, they kill you by the three obviously, but they're small, very small, and they don't attack the rim much. Kaminga is their injection of life in, in that, you know – I guess, factor of the game. And there's probably going to be times they need him on the floor because they just need to pressure the Kings at the rim. Yeah, I think a lot of their paint touches or paint points from Golden State's perspective are just going to come from Sacramento overplaying them when it comes to coming off of screens and, and slipping back door. Like communication is going to be huge from Sacramento's perspective, a team that, again, obviously struggles pretty bad defensively. Uh, when it comes to, you know, we're, we're talking about Gary Payton, Kuminga, like, who do you expect to be part of the rotation game one? I'm sure they'll try others, but obviously like Steph Clay, Wiggins, Draymond Looney, right? Dante, Poole. I think Dante will probably start game one. Okay. Um, I think Wiggins will come off the bench. Uh, that's the lean, I believe, and that is the way we termed it, the way we reported it today. That seems to be where it's trending. But, you know, obviously Wiggins is part of the rotation, so have Dante as your sixth man, essentially, even though he's starting. Poole is going to play plenty. That's seven. Kaminga will get in the game. That's eight. Uh, Peyton is nine. You're already right on the edge. I think Lamb is kind of bumped. Anthony Lamb is bumped to the fringe and probably out of the rotation. Um, Jermichael Green, you're probably not going to see. Uh, so I those those nine I mentioned are your firm nine. And I mean they can get to other guys, but that's like from the flip side with the Kings. That's like talking about like Chemezi Metu, right? Uh, Alex Lynn, who I know Alex Lynn has kind of had a nice little moment in the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah, he played a little bit. I, I think that there's an not idea that no, definitely not, definitely not. I, I think that uh, that probably wouldn't go great. Garden, what does the back like end of the Kings does. rotation look like? I think that off the bench we got Davion and Malik for sure. Um, I would assume Trey Lyles. Trey Lyles yeah. has played pretty well for them. I, I think that rebounding is really important against Golden State. Like Coach mentioned today, and you mentioned earlier, like the importance of Wiggins rebounding. Coach said straight up at practice today that without Wiggins' offensive rebounding last year, that he wouldn't have another championship. Like Wiggins is great in that aspect. Looney leads the league in offensive rebounds. I think Dante um, can do really well in that aspect. Draymond in there as well. Um, so I think that Trey will play. And after that, I don't really know. Like I, I think that you try. Kessler Edwards, but that that could go south pretty quick. I think you'll know pretty quickly if he's hitting shots or not, or if his confidence is um, seems to sort of take a hit. I don't really expect Chemezi Metu. I know he did okay in those previous matchups, but I, I don't really. It was like a switch one to five when Mezzi was out there. I don't feel great about that. Terrence Davis. It, it seemed like. Later in the season, it had been either, okay, is Kessler going to play or is TD going to play? And they they leaned towards Kessler, but Terrence Davis is a guy that like I could see them trying later in the series. If There's plenty of times, and, and you've probably seen this, where Coach is just so clearly, Coach Brown is so clearly searching, where it's more so that somebody else isn't doing what he wants. So you, you can see him on the sideline, go walk to the bench and seem to just kind of be surveying and like, all right, who do I want to try here? And then I think like maybe that could be a time that you go to Terrence Davis. But if you're ever in a point where you are searching in the postseason, you're probably already not in a great spot. So the eight, well, I only feel good about eight, really. Um, starting five that have played more minutes than any other lineup in the league this year. And then Davion Malik and, and Trey Lyles. Which is not that uncommon in the league. I mean, you I, isn't that the Pat Riley like ethos uh, play eight, trust seven, something like that in the playoffs? It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something like that. So, um, yeah, that's I mean, that's Warriors. You probably trust about eight right now. Yeah. And, and by the way, rotation's thin. This is the playoffs. Um, and I know Kings fans, it's been a while. So, you know, remembering this aspect of it, but 
De'Aaron Fox can suddenly just play like 42 minutes. You know, it's a bonus if he stays out of foul trouble. Like, you know, you might get a Kessler Edwards, but a lot of times it'd be seven possessions of Kessler Edwards and that's all you get. And that's your eighth, mo- you know, most played player in the game. So um, depth can be trimmed down if it needs to be, particularly maybe not game one, but by game three, four, five, when you know who's good in the series, who isn't, when the stakes of each game raise, you know, De'Aaron Fox by game five, game six of the series might be playing 44 minutes a night, you know, if he needs to. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us. All together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Shots now streaming. Shots! He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Does that. Vacation Friends 2, rated R, now streaming only on Hulu. Yeah, I think that those guys are going to have to be heavily relied upon, specifically Domas. Like the backup five situation has been a mess for Sacramento all year. I, I would expect Trey Lyles to be that guy, but not 100% on where you could go at. Do you think that if like Draymond is out there at the five for Golden State, like can you get away with HB at the five for a stretch? And again, we're not talking extended run or anything. I mean, in the sense that you're not going to get, like, bashed on the glass. You know, it's not like you're having Barnes trying to, like, hold off Jonas Valashunas or something right. like that. The problem is you're going small ball against the Kings of small ball. And, that you know, it is Harrison. But, I mean, Harrison Barnes was the Warriors' four men in the death lineup back in the day. So, he's, like, adept at that, I guess, environment. To answer your question, yeah, you could. You could go small, and maybe that makes sense. That could make a lot more sense than, like, I think – a worse decision would be, hey, Draymond's at the five. Let's throw Alex Lynn in the game and try to like, you know, beat him up on the glass. That's where I think you're in, you're in deeper trouble. Um, but if it is Barnes at the like, what does a Barnes at the five lineup look like? Do you think? When it comes to defense, just everybody, just who, like the other four. Like, what's the? Are they trying to switch and just be versatile? Yeah, I'd imagine you're trying to switch with, you know, De'Aaron, Keegan with a Kevin Monk or Malik probably. out there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Monk. Something like what that. And I, I really worry about Kevin and Malik in this series. Yeah, I would. Uh, what do you think about Monk defensively? Like they had him on Steph some in these games. And I think they want, you know, he is an athlete, right? He has right. physical raw tools that you could think, Hey, he could be a good defender on an individual possession, but obviously his career would tell you he's not a very, yeah, I don't think he is. Um, I, I think that maybe you can see possessions where he gets blown by and then because of that ridiculous athleticism yeah. can make some play to to make up for it or it goes one of two ways where he ends up fouling and and, and that could be an issue. Like I, I'm going to be really curious to see if Malik can hang. I worry that there's going to be times where Kevin Herter feels like he's just unplayable on the defensive end. He, he's been pretty bad sometimes this year and I feel like you could say the same for Malik. I feel like at the end of that, I think it was the second game these guys played. It was just kind of Curry going at Herder. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's trouble. Uh, if 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 a situation like that presents itself, now again, flip side, like you could say the same about Jordan Poole, right? Um, and, I, and I wanted to get there. Like, what do you, if Jordan Poole is sort of a defensive liability, like he he kind of had some of that in in last postseason run. How much of an impact do you think that has on on, on Golden State? It's hurtful because he juices their offense up. And, you know, they they love, if they can, to get to, like, a three-guard lineup um, with three, you know, bombs-away shooters out there. Poole is their second-best just creator. A lot of times he's their best player going to the rim. He can – many games will lead them in free-throw attempts. Uh, if he's really hot, he's just a complete game-changer. He can have a four-minute spurt where he goes on an individual 12-0 run and game is flipped. But – 
you know, as they got deeper in the playoffs last year, you get to the finals, Boston's picking on him. His minutes, you know, go look, his minutes go down often as the series goes on, as teams, you know, start to draw that target on his back. And I know Mike Brown, this is part of his game plan. You know, he's going to identify Jordan Poole as a weak spot defensively. And Steve Kerr knows this. And Steve Kerr is going to have a watchful eye on how Jordan Poole is being attacked and how Jordan Poole is operating defensively. They always tell him he needs to be more physical. He does have some tools a little bit like Monk, but um, just kind of stays out of the fray a bit. So uh, it's it would hurt them, but the one thing, I, the Warriors, especially now that Gary Payton II is back in the building, now that Andrew Wiggins has reappeared, the way DiVincenzo's played this season, um, they believe they have closing options where you may see Jordan Poole at times pouting on the bench because his minutes aren't as good as they are, but the Warriors may be just fine as far as like the five men they have on the floor. You feel like Gary Payton's been moving laterally pretty well since he's come back? Better than in Portland. Um, you know, he had three total dunks in his 15 Blazers games, and if anybody watched those games, it was – it wasn't the Peyton you saw from the playoffs last year. I thought he was a bit slower in his first few games with the Warriors. I think he's been better the last several, but I still don't see the same guy I saw in the title run last year. But he's close enough. Yeah, uh, He's really, for some reason, really good in chase center. Like, feeds off the crowd. He's, I guarantee there'll be one of the three games in chase center in this series. There'll be a Gary Payton like sequence and the crowd will be going crazy and he'll like cause two steals and he'll pose towards the crowd and um it'll feel like an avalanche a little bit for the kings he does have those type of you know moments in him but i do think he's being overrated a little bit as just like a a heavy factor in the series yeah and you mentioned gp being good at home obviously the home road splits for these teams were a story throughout the regular season. The Kings, the best road rec- road record in the Western Conference throughout the course of the season, 25 and 16, although only 23 and 18 at home. On the flip side, uh, probably the most variance that I've ever seen, 33 and 8 at the ho- at home for Golden State, 11 and 30 on the road. And then also Sacramento's defensive numbers home in the road have, have had a uh, a big variance as well at home, 118.2 defensive rating and on the road, 113.8. How much do you feel like that goes out the window when we're talking uh, a postseason series and also these teams both being so close to each other? I imagine there's a good amount of fans from both sides at both arenas. Yeah, it's really like the Warriors going what they did on the road this season. And honestly, 11 and 30 sounds pretty good because they won, I think, like <laughs> three of their last five. At one yeah. point, it was like seven and, you know, 30 or something like that. Um but they're also the same team 10 months ago. I saw like winning Boston Garden twice when it mattered most to win an NBA title. They're the same team core, I should say, the main guys who are on an NBA record streak currently that's ongoing 27 consecutive playoff series. They've won at least one road game. Like they always steal one. Um, they did it. And it, this series coming up against the Kings reminds me a little bit of Memphis last season. They went in and just hijacked game one from the Grizzlies. And then they got whacked in game two and got blown out by, I think, 55 in game five in Memphis. But it didn't matter. They won the series because they stole game one. And I do think that's probably their mentality driving that bus up I-80 is just go, you know, I think there's going to be nerves in Golden 1 Center. I think it's just going to be an anxious moment for the Kings. And um, the Warriors, I've seen them go into so many buildings in these type of times for these franchises and just kind of dagger through a team's heart one time and steal a series because they got that one game. I've certainly seen it in Oklahoma city. I used to cover the thunder and I still just go into an Oklahoma city arena and just say game six, Clay Thompson. And they like, <laughs> faint when you just mention those words. Cause so yeah, 11 and 30 is horrible this season. If you just are going off that, like King should just wipe the floor with them in golden one. But we also know who, like, the DNA of the players that are walking into that building. Um, and then I, the other part you mentioned, just like, you know, what do we think the vibe of this series is going to be? Should be fun, right? I, I yeah. feel a little bit bad for for the Kings that, you know, there's going to be a lot of Warriors fans invading this arena. Whereas if it was Minnesota, for example, it would be a 99% Kings crowd. It would feel great. Not that it will. Like, there's going to be such energy there Saturday night. 
But when Clay Thompson hits a three, when Steph Curry hits a three, there's going to be a larger chunk than you would like if you're the Kings fans of rising and Curry jerseys cheering. So I think it'll be cool, but I think it kind of hurts the Kings home court advantage a little bit. Yeah, I'm curious how much ticket prices for Golden One have anything to it like impact the amount of Warriors fans that are in there. There's definitely still going to be a lot, but the, the prices are ridiculous. I'm I'm sure right. you've seen that. Imagine they that's, are, but there's there's some tech bros that love them some Warriors, is. and and, and uh, price is not a uh, a thought to them. They just right. want to go up to Golden One. But no, I mean you're right, but it's just like, like I would have liked to have seen what Golden One would have been right. against like. A what not a whatever opponent, but certainly like you know you play the Nuggets or something like. Yeah. There's like 25 Nuggets fans in the building, right? Right. You play the Clippers. Warriors, there's 2,500 at least. Right. Right. It'll be interesting to see for sure. Uh, one other thing I want to ask you about is the turnovers. Uh, Sacramento and Golden State are ridiculously high-paced teams, and I think there's going to be. I mean, basketball is always a game of runs, but I think there's going to be some pretty extreme runs from both sides in this and um sac or golden state gets out in transition more often but sacramento is ridiculously efficient when they do and golden state is right at the top of the league in turnovers what do you jordan pool being a big part of that what do you see in total turnovers this season pool what do you see as the way that teams are effectively able to turn golden state over like what are teams doing is it is it ball pressure is it jumping passing lanes yeah, I mean, a team like Memphis is really good at it because it's like Dylan Brooks is is in a, in Steph's jersey 30 feet out. Jaron Jackson is completely sagging off Looney and Draymond and mucking up the pain. And and they got long players everywhere who, who are aggressive and will get in foul trouble while doing it, but will go after steals. And um, the Kings don't really have that type of personnel. And so that's – that. You know what? I don't know what, what the Kings are. You might have even said it there, but like what they are enforcing turnovers, they're not that high. I wouldn't imagine. Um, I don't think so. I'll find that number. Yeah. But oftentimes you don't even need to be that disruptive against the Warriors. On the, on the right night against the Warriors, they might just hand you 14 turnovers because Steph Curry might just come off a screen and flip a, you know, behind his shoulder pass right to Kevin Herter for a pick six where it's like, Kevin Herter didn't necessarily make that play, but it got it handed to him. Draymond Green will throw probably seven just chaotically bad passes during this series. Uh, Clay Thompson will have a couple, you know, boneheaded mistakes. He might just step out of bounds. Uh, you know, you mentioned Poole. Poole will dribble off his leg a couple times. He'll dribble into traffic and fall and, you know, kick it away. Uh, they've had some really crucial late game, just complete disaster uh, scenarios this season with turnovers. So it is, a, it's a problem for them, but the truth is it's always has been. You probably yeah. met one of the most famous like gifts of the, uh, this dynasty run that is, you know, heading towards a decade now is, uh, the game seven that they lost to the Cavaliers back in 16 Steph's thrown the behind the back pass out of bounds. Yes. And you know, they, they, uh, Photoshopped it with the trophy. The trophy. Like he's just yeah, yeah. yeah throwing the behind the back, the trophy away. So this is who they are, but, but as everybody knows, they've won this way. Yeah, middle of the league in forcing turnovers for Sacramento, 14.2, 15th. Uh, Golden State's 14th, 14.3. So right there. Um, last thing I want to ask you is, do you see similarities? I, I think it was Golden State hadn't made the playoffs in 17 of 18 years, I believe is the number, if I'm getting that right. Sacramento, it's been... Some we believe right here with that... I'm asking you if you feel any similarities, and there's a big difference between obviously the talent level that Golden State was working with when they broke that drought, right? And what those guys obviously ended up becoming when you're talking three Hall of Famers. But do you see any sort of like similarities when it comes to just sort of the feel around these teams? Yeah, I thought we were going back to we when they really broke the long drought was the 07, we believe, like Baron Davis, Steven right. Jackson. It's a team that made me uh, fall in love with basketball, actually. Well, there you go, Matt Barnes. So I see a similarity in that team in the sense of like what the crowd would probably be like from a Kings perspective, um, like those we believe crowds. But yeah, I mean, it is a basketball-loving area that will really show up for a winner. It shows up kind of regardless, but like we'll fall in love with the winner. And I do think the Kings um, fans are, are doing that right now. As you mentioned, 
there's more unknown like you know how long is Demonis Sabonis prime going to be how will it be in Sacramento with this kind of extension situation that can't really get solved at this point right um I worry I, a little bit about De'Aaron like athletic guys that rely on athleticism yeah, like that yeah. to now Look, a shorter I mean, peak Steph Curry is Steph Curry like we're talking right. but he'll probably go down as the top 10 player of all time right um and the way he's extended his prime has been outrageous i thought this dynasty was over in 2019 and you could have still called it a dynasty at the end of 2019 last year's title was just insane so as you mentioned like i'm not nobody's predicting that type of run for the kings but i do think yeah just the freshness that you felt back in the early warriors days um and you do feel that with the kings but also and i mean this gets us on a different topic a little bit but like this to me is a moment for De'Aaron fox to stamp himself as like more than just like a, a fringe all-star yeah. you know i gave him an all nba vote this year i think i put him third team um which means you're a top 15 player essentially and i think if the kings are to win the series i think he's got to have a monster series i think he's got to go toe-to-toe with steph i think he's got to play very well defensively while giving you a lot offensively which is a heavy burden and i think he's got to do it for you know five six of the seven games right he can maybe have a stinker once or twice but if but if he's not awesome i don't think the kings are winning the series but that also opens up the you know possibility that he is great and maybe we're two weeks from now De'Aaron fox is looked at in an entirely different light because he is the best player on the floor in a warrior series i wouldn't predict it but it's not impossible it's not i mean he's given you reason to believe this year like like you mentioned putting him third team all, all nba is it's totally justified those clutch numbers are a big part of that i'd imagine that you mentioned in your piece uh numbers you included 194 points on 53% shooting in the clutch with the rosen being second um almost 40 points behind him 159 on 47% shooting like that efficiency um combined with the volume has just been ridiculous for De'Aaron. and and coach brown has said earlier in the year it's like if he can do that for longer stretches, then he can really take his game to another level. And, that, and that's what he's going to need to be asked to do. I think you could say the same thing defensively. I think in fourth quarters, he's been pretty good for Sacramento, but it's just such a burden to try to lock in on both ends of the floor when you're asked to do so much when it comes to running the offense. So he's an X factor in, to like, in the aspect of what extent is he going to be able to perform? Because I, I have faith in him, but you don't know until – you see it right this is brand new he's always gonna downplay it as like you know it's it's just basketball like trying to get further than this but we're gonna see he, he definitely has shown an ability to live up to the moment but this is gonna be uh the biggest moment yet for him so we'll see how it ends up working out yeah i love to see playoff debuts i think he's he's one of the guys i want to see on this stage the most because i do think he is built for this i do think the clutch numbers do this season say a lot about his, you know, kind of gravitas and those type of moments, which which are playoff similar, right? You know, there are five minute stretches during the regular season when we're talking about late and close tight games and riled up arenas that are playoff level, and he is showing he can do that. But now it's it's every game, and it's and I'm sure Mike Brown is telling him this, but like Sabonis is great, and Sabonis is probably. Uh, would be considered more of an MVP candidate than Fox this year. But I think if they are to make a run, Fox has to be their best player. He's more of a playoff best player than Sabonis is. So he's got to go do it. I think the same. And Sabonis can help try to unlock him with with screens and DHOs and try to help free him up. But I'm absolutely with you. Uh, before I get you out of here, Anthony, you have any sort of final thoughts that you see as maybe being a big swing in this series? Any questions you want to throw my way or anything? Uh- like that, I just like part of me is like wondering if Harrison Barnes just might go go ballistic one night in Chase Center. Like you get Harrison Barnes a thirty five point game, blowing kisses to the Chase Center crowd. There's, <laughs> there's like a small level of uh, revenge ability for for Harrison. I I, I want to see how he plays in this series because he's such a quiet and under discussed player, but I know he burns a little bit about you know what kind of what could have been with him, right? He sh- probably could have and should have been a longer term part of this Warriors dynasty. They kicked him to the curb for obvious reasons. They got Kevin Durant, but he's an interesting subplot to this series. And he has a lot of variance on a night to night basis. Sometimes he'll be totally quiet and you'll kind of forget he's out there. 
and then other games where he catches fire. It seems like a lot of times it's first quarters or first halves, and then just nothing happens in the second half. And part of that is De'Aaron being quieter in the first halves and louder in the seconds. But uh, Kings are 14 and six in the 20 games where HB puts up 20 plus. I'm kind of going into it thinking like, you know what you're getting from De'Aaron, you know what you're getting from Domas. Obviously, can they take that to another level? And then I feel like you have to be able to rely on HB and then the other guys. What can they give you? But there's sometimes where HB does disappear. So I, I think he's going to be uh, an interesting one to watch on this end for sure. And and defensively too, like when Wiggins is at his best, he's a force on the offensive end as well. And I imagine that's where HB gets assigned to. And HB has moments of looking a little slow footed um, compared to maybe where he was previously and other moments where I feel like he handles that well. So I am uh, definitely with you. But Anthony, I want to get you out of here, man. Um, I, I appreciate you taking the time. And yeah, I'm looking forward to this series. I'm sure I'll see you around. Yeah, I think it's uh, this series and the Lakers Grizzly series. I think are the two best for their league in the first round. So, uh, and they're split at least so far. I, I haven't looked at the full schedule, but Saturday you get this one, and Sunday Lakers Grizzly. So I'm excited. And by the way, they're matched up against each other as far as winner of each series faces each other in the second round. So I like how the bracket from a California perspective is uh, breaking up. There's a chance that either one of these teams go to Western Conference Finals only playing Pacific Division teams. Yeah, which I was talking with somebody today. There's a chance the Warriors could go back to the finals and never leave California going <laughs> Kings, Lakers, Clippers. It's a theoretical yeah. path. You don't have to leave California. And I guess you yeah. could say the same about the Kings. But right, right. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate you coming on again. Anthony Slater of The Athletic. I'm sure everybody's familiar with your work. If you're not, check it out. Uh, the piece you put out today on Warriors Kings was a great preview. And there's work going on from all the guys and gals, including myself at the Kings Herald, that you should check out and take a look at their Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, and hear from me again next couple days. 